Haunted UK podcast is recorded and mixed in stereo. Listening through an environment such as stereo speakers or headphones will ensure you get the best experience. Let me quickly tell you about our official podcast sponsor, CDS Print and Design. CDS is a family-run company who offer great prices and great products such as printed t-shirts, hoodies, canvases, coasters, placemats, stickers, banners, signage and much, much more. For more information or for a free no-obligation quote, email Colin or Debbie at cdsprintanddesign at gmail.com. You can also find CDS Print and Design on Facebook and Instagram. This is Season 2 of the Haunted UK Podcast, and in this season we're going to cast our net far and wide to tell stories of UFOs, unsolved mysteries, strange creatures and explain disappearances, as well as further tales of ghosts, poltergeists, and haunted locations. So let's dive in. Both commercial and military pilots are regarded as being some of the best types of witnesses when it comes to UFO sightings and encounters. Their unique training enables them to be able to judge the size, speed and type of craft much better than any layperson. But what happens when one of these highly trained pilots really does have an encounter with something which could truly be out of this world? This is Season 2 and Episode 2 of the Haunted UK Podcast. And in this episode, we're going to tell the story of one of the most detailed UFO encounters ever recorded. On the 17th of November 1986, a Boeing 747-200F cargo aircraft is on a routine flight from Paris to Narita International Airport, Tokyo. The aircraft is being flown by a Japanese three-man crew, consisting of Captain Kenji Terauchi, to the left of him co-pilot Takanori Tamafuji, and in the rear of the cockpit, flight engineer Yoshio Tsukuba. The aircraft's call sign is JAL-1628. To try and reinforce to you the experience of the crew flying the plane, Captain Terauchi alone was an ex-fighter pilot with over 10,000 hours of flight time. At around 17.08pm, JAL-1628 entered Alaskan airspace on autopilot, and then a few minutes later, Anchorage Air Traffic Control advised a slight course alteration. 
As the aircraft came out of its turn, and at around 35,000 feet, Captain Terauchi thought that he had spotted two aircraft, which he initially thought were military, around 2,000 feet below their current altitude and to their far left. Around 10 minutes later, the two aircraft performed a manoeuvre which took all of the cockpit crew by surprise. The two mystery aircraft suddenly gained altitude and veered in front of the airliner, to a point where they were now around only a mile in front. At this point, they were flying in a formation of one aircraft above the other. Captain Teruji made a comment that he felt that the aircraft were generating heat, because somehow he said he could feel it from inside the cockpit. Now before we go any further, I just want to clarify that there are full transcripts available of the communications between JAL-1628 and the Anchorage Air Traffic Controllers. I will post a link to one particular copy for anyone interested in reading the whole document, but for the sake of this episode, I will only be drawing on certain parts. Flight Engineer Sukuba contacted Anchorage Air Traffic Control to ask if there was any traffic in the area of JAL-1628, to which they replied that there wasn't anything in the skies anywhere near them. Sukuba then confirmed that they had a positive sighting of two unknown aircraft, approximately only one mile ahead of them. Situations such as this one present air traffic controllers with a nightmare. They constantly monitor all aircraft movements and make sure that they all follow their pre-programmed flight plans. If an adjustment is needed, they are able to advise, but if they can't see all aircraft in their airspace, it can present problems that can be potentially fatal. Anchorage really needed to find out what they were dealing with, so asked JAL-1628 to try and confirm the identity of the two aircraft and their altitude. Sukuba replied by saying that they had both aircraft in sight, but at the moment couldn't confirm what they were, whether they were either military or civilian. As he was saying this, they changed formation, from flying one above the other to now flying side by side. Sukuba commented that they could see evidence of what looked like both navigation and strobe lights on the aircraft, and when asked what colours he thought the lights were, he confirmed that they looked white and yellow. As Anchorage confirmed the last transmission, both objects completely changed direction and headed off to the left, towards the horizon. They were soon out of sight, but a few minutes later, a new object appeared in front of them, matching their direction, altitude and speed. Captain Teruchi pointed the object out to his fellow crew members and then checked the onboard radar system and found that there was definitely something out there with them approximately 14 kilometres away. The crew decided to contact Anchorage again to confirm the appearance of a new object, not only in their physical vision, but also on the aircraft's onboard radar. To their surprise, Anchorage confirmed that they still couldn't see any traffic in the immediate area of JAL-1628, but Captain Terauchi replied by telling them that this object was very large and that they wanted to request permission to change course to avoid whatever this object was. Anchorage agreed to the course change and advised JAL-1628 to reduce altitude from 35,000 feet to 31,000 feet. Captain Terauchi carried out the manoeuvre 
but was extremely concerned to see the mystery object copy their deviation and match their altitude. He reported this back to Anchorage Air Traffic Control, who then authorized a further course change of a full 360-degree turnaround. They then asked for JAL 1628 to confirm what the unidentified object's course was now. After their aircraft had completed the course change, Captain Teruchi and his crew couldn't see the object any longer and believed that it had continued its course away from them. But on the ground, things were beginning to develop much further. Radar operators at Elmendorf Air Force Base in Alaska had picked up an unidentified target following flight JAL-1628. They contacted Anchorage Air Traffic Control to report their findings and to advise them that they notify the crew of JAL-1628 that, whatever this object was, it had indeed changed its course and was now shadowing them. Captain Teruuchi was advised to hold his course and await further instructions. Behind the scenes, Anchorage Air Traffic Control asked Elmendorf Air Force Base what the possibility was of mobilizing a couple of fighter planes to intercept whatever this object was. Elmendorf confirmed that they would take this immediately to the military desk to try and gain permission to offer military support. Shortly after, this request was confirmed and military assistance was offered to Flight JAL-1628. For reasons not known at the time, Captain Teruchi refused the request of military assistance, but instead welcomed the help of an American Airlines aircraft that was in the area and confirmed on radar. Anchorage contacted American Airlines Flight 69 and asked them to change their course to meet with JAL-1628's flight plan. When Flight 69 had visual confirmation of JAL-1628, they were to contact Anchorage and await further instructions. Meanwhile, there was also a military C-130 Hercules transport aircraft in the air, and this also offered to move to the area of JAL-1628's position to help to confirm the sightings of the unidentified flying object. After a short while, American Airlines Flight 69 confirmed that they had visual of JAL-1628, which appeared to them silhouetted against a slowly lighting sky. This was confirmed by Captain Teruuchi flashing his landing lights to identify themselves to the American Airlines aircraft. By this time, the C-130 had also got a visual of JAL-1628, but both aircrafts reported that there was no sign of any other unidentified object in their visual space. Captain Teruuchi had also reported that the object had suddenly disappeared and could no longer be seen by any of the crew. With all three aircraft now confirming that they had no visual contact with any unidentified object, they each returned to their flight plans and continued their journeys. JAL-1628 landed safely in Anchorage for its scheduled stop, then continued its journey to Tokyo with no further incident. It didn't take long for the news of the incident to break all over the world. Newspapers and the media were scrambling to get hold of exclusive interviews with the crew of JAL-1628, as well as any employees of Anchorage Air Traffic Control who were involved in the incident. The military radar operators had some level of protection because of their positions in national security, 
but it didn't stop the media from trying to get the exclusive story at the time. It's here that we have to pause and take a deeper look inside this whole incident and those involved. So let's begin with Captain Kenji Terauchi. With over 10,000 hours of flight experience, being an ex-fighter pilot and also being respected by his fellow colleagues, it's difficult to bring negativity down on a stellar career man such as him. But there are chinks in the armour. Let's go back to him turning down the request for military assistance, specifically in the form of fighter jets trying to get a visual of the mystery object and then attempting to intercept it. Terauchi was already a hardline believer in the possibility of UFOs, as well as the existence of extraterrestrial beings. His reasoning for turning down the offer of military assistance was down to his knowledge of the Thomas Mantle UFO incident. In short, Captain Thomas F. Mantle and four other military pilots were sent to intercept an alleged UFO over Kentucky. Mantle died when his P-51 Mustang crashed into the ground due to him flying too high without the aid of oxygen. He blacked out in the cockpit and never regained consciousness. Terauchi felt that if military assistance was sent to intercept the object, the pilots would run the risk of never making it back alive. In interviews which he gave to the press in the few weeks after the incident, he was automatically calling the mystery objects real UFOs, and also spaceships and the mothership, completely convinced that what JAL 1628 had encountered were aircraft controlled by extraterrestrial beings. It also came to the attention of researchers and skeptics that this wasn't the first time that Captain Teruji had reported being buzzed by unknown aircraft whilst piloting a civilian airliner. The other two members of JAL 1628's flight crew also only ever reported seeing lights, and not any solid aircraft. But does this make Captain Terauchi a liar? It's common knowledge that military and commercial airline pilots are very wary of reporting any sightings of unidentified flying objects outside of official channels. Going to the press to report a sighting can result in a pilot being grounded, and this is exactly what happened to Captain Terauchi. After giving an interview to Kyodo news journalists, Japan Airlines grounded Terauchi and moved him to a desk job. He was only reinstated as a pilot after a number of years spent in offices. So what about the radar data? What happened to that? And what investigations were actually carried out by official channels? Or unofficial channels? This is where this whole incident becomes even more interesting. John Callahan, who was the Chief of the Accidents and Investigators Division of the Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA, was brought in by the Alaskan FAA region to help them put together a report which could be released to the media regarding the whole case. This was initially set in motion when Kyodo News, who had interviewed Captain Terucci, contacted Paul Stoker who was the Anchorage FAA Public Information Officer, strictly for a comment. John Callahan was brought into the investigation completely blind, as he had no idea that this incident had even taken place. After a brief look through the case notes, 
he first felt that these unidentified aircraft could quite easily be sightings of top-secret military stealth technologies on test flights. To get a more detailed picture of the incident, Callahan requested that both Anchorage Air Traffic Control and Elmendorf Air Force Base send all radar data and voice recordings to their head office in Atlanta, where both himself and his superiors could fully investigate the case in depth. Over the course of the next day, John Callahan and his team pieced together and synchronized the radar data to the voice recordings, and then presented their findings to Admiral Donald D. Engine at the FAA's headquarters. As Admiral Engine watched the video, it became clear that they were dealing with something more than just a simple case of lights in the sky. Engine ordered that the group prepare a full presentation which would be presented to government officials the very next day. He also ordered that until that meeting had reached a definite conclusion, everyone present and involved with the investigation must remain silent and not speak to anyone regarding any aspect of the case whatsoever. At the meeting, representatives of Anchorage Air Traffic Control and Elmendorf Air Force Base were in attendance, as well as John Callahan and his colleagues, but it was the attendees that turned up next that caught everyone off guard. In walked representatives of not only the Federal Bureau of Investigations, but also the Central Intelligence Agency and even members of President Ronald Reagan's own scientific study team. Callahan and his colleagues presented their findings to the group, with radar data and voice recordings to back everything up. After a short period of deliberation between the various agencies in attendance, they were told that the scientific study team would be confiscating all records for further study. They were then also told that the meeting that had just taken place had never happened, and everybody in attendance had never been there. Everything that had been presented and discussed was now top secret, highly classified, and could not be disclosed. According to John Callahan, the scientific study team couldn't wait to get their hands on the data. Callahan said that these people were literally drooling at the prospect of having all of this information at their fingertips. He was also told by one of their representatives that this data was considered to be the first case of official contact with a UFO, with radar data to prove it. After this, the meeting was closed and all parties went their separate ways. Around three months later, the official investigation ended and the FAA released their findings in a press conference on the 5th of March 1987. The FAA's public information officer, Paul Stuke, withdrew the statements that radar operators had indeed tracked a real UFO and instead confirmed that the whole incident was down to a split radar image which occurred at the same time as the alleged sightings on board JAL 1628. In a closing statement, Paul Stoke said that the FAA didn't have enough evidence or material to confirm that there was something there, and that although they were accepting the descriptions by the crew of Flight JAL 1628, they were unable to support what they had seen. The whole incident still received extensive media attention, and regardless of the FAA's statement, ufologists and conspiracy theorists continued to dig for any further evidence of a cover-up. 
there was one person, however, who still held a huge amount of damning evidence to back up the claims of the crew of JAL 1628, especially those of Captain Terauchi. Unbeknownst to everyone else, John Callahan had retained not only the original video of the compiled information, but also the pilot's reports, the FAA's initial report, and the computer data target printouts. From all of this information, John Callahan could reconstruct the events of that evening and prove that there were definitely at least three unidentified flying objects in the air on the 17th of November 1986. So what do we think about this case? There are those that will continually point to the fact that both of the pilots of the C-130 military aircraft and American Airlines Flight 69 saw nothing. They will also point out that the other two crew members of JAL 1628 only saw lights and not the objects that Captain Terauchi described and sketched in interviews. But here's the thing. They did see something. And as we all know, witness sightings can vary in description from person to person. Then there's the radar operators, their data and the target printouts. All of this evidence proves that there was definitely something in the skies that night. But that's all it does prove. There's no way to show beyond a shadow of doubt that the UFOs were anything other than exactly that. Unidentified flying objects. There's also no way to prove that the meeting between John Callahan, the FAA, the FBI, the CIA and President Reagan's scientific study team even took place. But why would John Callahan lie? What would he get out of making the meeting up? There is though maybe one other possibility that could explain what might have been in the skies that night. And this goes back to what John Callahan initially thought in the first place. The first official flight of the Northrop Grumman B-2 stealth bomber took place on the 17th of July 1989 but it's an absolute certainty that this aircraft was flying years before this, but in complete secrecy. Let's take the Lockheed F-117A Nighthawk stealth fighter as a typical example. Designed at the world-famous Lockheed Skunk Works facility, this aircraft's prototype was in the air in 1977, but it was so ultra-top secret that many people in the Pentagon had no idea that the program was even in development. The stealth fighter was finally acknowledged as a piece of US Air Force hardware in 1988, but it was in 1991, in the first Gulf War, that it made its first real appearance. That's a total of almost 14 years of top-secret development where this aircraft was technically a UFO. The B-2 stealth bomber could have quite possibly been in the air when this UFO incident took place. Now, I totally take on board the criticism that the object or objects that were witnessed by the crew of JAL 1628 didn't resemble a B-2 stealth bomber. But could this sighting have been an altogether different experimental aircraft? Something that is still currently in development. Something that is so advanced that keeping it a secret is a much better option than revealing it to the world? After all, the best weapon in war is one that your enemies don't even know that you have. To this very day, 
the incident surrounding Japan Airlines Flight 1628 continues to perplex and fascinate us, and it's still one of the best cases for the existence of UFOs that ufologists put forward for genuine consideration. So, if one evening you spot something strange in the night sky, just remember to take in as much detail as possible, because the next person who could see a UFO could be you. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK Podcast. But before I go, I'd like to give a few shout-outs. And the first one is to all of you, the listeners. Thank you so much for following, subscribing and listening. None of this would be possible without all of you. The show is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts and Radio Public. Wherever possible, leaving a positive five-star review helps the show in many ways. Listener figures are rising rapidly, and that's all down to you. So a huge thanks to you all. Another shout-out goes to the show's sponsor, CDS Print and Design, who have been kind enough to come back for a second season. Huge thanks to both Colin and Debbie. This next shout-out goes to some amazing podcasts out there which, if you're looking for fantastic content and shows that will keep you engaged for episode after episode, then these will definitely keep you entertained for hours. These podcasts are Red-Handed, Astonishing Legends, The Strange Sessions, The Salty Speculation Podcast, Fool and Scholar Productions Podcasts, Pineapple Pizza Podcast, Killing, Missing, Hidden the Haunted Housewives, Keep It Weird, the Mystery of Life podcast, and from the Parcast Network, which is now exclusively only on Spotify, Conspiracy Theories, Extraterrestrial, Gone, and Unexplained Mysteries. Next up is a request to all you listeners out there. Have you seen a ghost? Witnessed poltergeist activity? Had a strange, unexplained paranormal experience? Have you ever stayed in a haunted location or experienced something frightening on a ghost tour? Even better, do you live or work in a haunted house or building? Have you encountered or seen a UFO? Heard a story about an unsolved disappearance or mystery? Or have you been lucky enough to witness a strange, unknown creature? If you have, then your story could feature on Season 2's Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. It's easy to do, and if you like, you can remain anonymous. Huge thanks in advance to you all. Besides writing, recording, mixing and mastering this podcast, I also run a mixing and mastering studio called Pink Flamingo Music Productions. If you have a podcast or piece of music that you'd like mixing, mastering or both, or if you'd like a piece of finished music written for a project that you're working on, then please email the studio with details of your inquiry to pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. It's nowhere near as expensive as you'd think. 
This podcast was recorded at Pink Flamingo Music Production Studio in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. For a full list of research sources that helped immensely with the content of this episode, please refer to the show's notes. Thank you all so much again for listening, and we'll be back very soon with another episode. Until then, stay safe and take care.